Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. We're gonna read God's word together, so go ahead and stay standing for a minute. Um, And our scripture reading for this morning is going to be on the screen. I want to invite you all to read it aloud. Ready? One, two, three, read. Go ahead and have a seat. Father, thank you for your word. Um, In particular, I'm just grateful for how many pictures, how many metaphors, how many hooks, as it were, that you provide in your word for us to hang our understanding upon so that we might know you. And we might know what it means to follow you. We might even know what it means to live for you. And so this morning, would you um, pour out your spirit on your people? Would you give us your grace that we might not just have ears to hear and eyes to see, but God, would you change our hearts so that we do, that we continue to live for you wherever you have placed us. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, um, we are continuing this morning in a series that has lasted for the last month or so called The Ripple Effect. Um, And part of what I've been longing and praying towards with this series is that the good news of Jesus would continue to drop in our lives such that it makes waves. We want to see God's grace and his goodness in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection land and then ripple out from us, changing us, but then spilling over into the lives of those around us and in the places and the people that we engage with. So last week, I tried to answer the question, what's really like step two? What's the second step to a gospel ripple effect? And here's what I said. I said that you and I are the plan. The second step is getting to that spot where you embrace the reality that God has a plan in in the world, that he's working among us, and you and I are a part of it. Matter of fact, we are the primary means that God wants to use to move forward his purposes in the world. So, this morning I want to talk a little bit more about motivation. Now listen, I mean, I thought, Grizz, you helped me out, man. Like, this stuff has been messing with me. Like, just in all honesty, like, I don't preach because I'm perfect at this. Like, I don't preach because I, I have everything together all the time. Like, I need this. And the Lord's messing with me as we're talking about living on mission messing with me as we're talking about the gospel affecting those around us because it's been affecting us individually. And listen, there was a point on our way home where uh, we, we were coming into Chicago. Um, we had a layover in Chicago on our way back. And as it worked, it was night, but the flight pattern took us right around the city. And I, I saw through the window 
all of downtown Chicago with the lights right on, you know, Lake Michigan and all of that. Like, it was beautiful. But I've also been downtown in Chicago. Meaning I've stayed downtown in Chicago and looked up at buildings that you seem, seems like you can't see to the top of. And it dawned on me in that moment that sometimes what we need most is perspective. And as we're flying and I'm seeing buildings this small out of my window, my vantage point has changed so much that the, the massiveness of the building in front of me doesn't feel that way anymore because my line of sight has changed. And my hope is in this series that our line of sight would change so that what's familiar to us if we're walking the streets of a city and seems big to us in the everyday of our normal life might even be put into perspective. Because here's the reality, when it comes to um, God and him working with us, a lot of times our approach is that we get ideas, we get dreams, we get endeavors that capture our hearts, and we should, but then we begin to believe that God can be useful to us in our plans and purposes. I've noticed here in Minneapolis and hang with people in Philly, and it doesn't matter where we are from, that our desire for purpose in life is pretty prevalent. But I'm convinced that oftentimes we are far too easily pleased when it comes to purpose. We are far too easily pleased thinking that we could perhaps use God towards the end of advancing our purposes in the world when that is the most small way of looking at our existence. Rather, what a perspective shift could be is that God wants to use us for his purposes in the world. Think about that for a minute. You walk down the streets and your dreams and plans feel enormous, right? But when you step back onto the, into the airplane and you look at the city, you realize the smallness of yourself and even of your own life. How much of a grander purpose would you have for your day-to-day, -day, your week-to-week, -week, your life as a whole if you were not using God for your things, but God was using you for his things? If you played a role in God's grand purposes. I remember the first time that I stepped foot onto the field as a Division I athlete. And uh, I didn't start. And so I had this moment where, and it's kind of a big deal at the school that I played for. Like there's like a 6,000 stadium and lights and a good fan base in the city. And I remember getting my name called and coming up and readying to get into the game. And it was like, both humility and honor mark the moment that I was wanted to play a role in this. Pride swelled as I ran onto the field, took my position and got after it. I wonder if our endeavors need to be put in a perspective of God calling us into the game and saying, you are my plan to accomplish my purposes in the world. Amen? Hey, that's just something on my heart. Now I've got to preach a sermon, okay? Um, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read through John chapter 15 this morning. Um, and like I said, I want to talk about motivation. And here's why. 
Because I think if we are to continue the work that God has already started among us, if we're to sustain a, a gospel ripple effect, then we have to embrace the right reasons for mission. We have to embrace the right motivations for joining in God's purposes because if we don't, we will fizzle out far too quickly. So here's my proposition. If we are to carry on as a church, if you are to carry on in living for Jesus wherever you are, then you have to embrace the right motivations for mission. Otherwise, you will soon run out of energy for the cause. Listen, we uh, recently bought some camera equipment. I mean, I think it's looking at me right now um, for the church just to continue to get some content out there um, on social media. Maybe you've seen some of that on Instagram. Um, but when we bought that stuff, we had to make like a million different decisions because there's all sorts of different equipment or whatever. And one of them was like, what batteries do we get? Like, what batteries do we get? Like, do we get the name brand batteries? Or do we get, you know, the batteries you buy on Amazon where they're like a third of the price and you get like eight of them in a package, but do they work the same is the question. All right, so I, I decided we should get the name brand. And I don't know if it's because Duracell commercials have like won me over, like they're the number one trusted battery, or when I found out that Warren Buffett owns Duracell. And if that guy invests in Duracell, then I should probably invest in Duracell. I mean, if the Oracle knows batteries have only so many cycles, I don't know. But like we decided that we would invest in the bona fide batteries, right? The real deal batteries and charger. But my concern is that many of us, when it comes to living for God, have invested in the bootleg. Now, here's the reality of our church. Some of the people in our church don't even know what bootleg means, right? And some of the people in our church, all they've ever been able to own is something third bootleg or resold. But Jesus wants you to have the bona fide, the real power for mission. He wants you to have the full resources, not something that fizzles out after a few recharges so that you can carry forward his work in the world. All right, so John 1 through 11, here's what I wanna do. I wanna show you three bona fide reasons for living for Jesus and then their bootleg counterfeits. Sound good? All right, let's roll. So here's number one. John 15, verse one. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. So the stage is set, like I prayed for this wonderful metaphor to take shape. You have the identity of Jesus. He is the vine, the true vine. You have the father, Jesus' father, God, as the vine dresser. And as we see a few verses later, and you can kind of implicitly get here that we are the branches connected. Jesus is teaching his disciples but he's not teaching them in a vacuum because if you read the few verses before what I just read, you see Jesus just finished his last meal with his crew, the last supper with his disciples. And now they're walking. And my guess is they're walking and they're trailing Jesus, 
He's the leader, right? They're following him along, maybe even baking their way through the Mount of Olives, one of his favorite places. Maybe there's even a garden or some kind of vegetation around that cues his mind. But probably as they're walking, Jesus is meditating. The dude's deep, all right? He's walking and he's drawing from the Old Testament, ruminating on the Psalms, right? And Jesus, then out of this deep, place of communion with God as they're walking, knowing that he's going in a matter of moments to his own betrayal, death, suffering, and crucifixion, says this to his crew, abide in me. I am the true vine. You are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. And what will happen as you abide in me, as you connect to me, the source of life, you will have the nutrients of the vine flowing in you and then flowing through you to bear fruit. So he goes on to say that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning's interesting, right? I mean, it's obvious that pruning is on the horizon for Jesus' followers. He's about to leave them. He's about to go to his own suffering and death. And trial is gonna come upon them in a matter of minutes. They are heading into a difficult season of their life and a difficult season of living for Jesus and advancing God's kingdom here on earth, right? And that's not gonna stop. Matter of fact, it's gonna keep going on as challenging for the disciples who become the apostles and who start the early church and, and then explode in this movement of early Christianity. So what Jesus is saying to them is, hey, here's what you need to know. Those who are fruitful, God prunes. Those who are bearing fruit, God trims. He cuts. It is not those who don't bear fruit that God just sort of deals with, but those who do bear fruit, God cuts. I wonder if you know that God cuts you not to punish you, but to prepare you for bearing more fruit. Like, I wonder if you know some of the difficulties in your life are not just consequence of folly for you, which can be the case, but are the result of your fruitfulness. God himself cuts you is not an indication that he's left you, but rather that he loves you and he's trying to lead you into a season of greater fruitfulness. Whenever you go through difficulty, whenever there is something that seems like God is pricking it apart from you in your life, perhaps God is actually preparing you for a greater fruit. The point here is that Jesus is the true vine. But the true vine gives something really interesting. Honestly, this verse three seems weird. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Why is he talking about cleanliness? Here's my hunch. Here's my hunch because whenever I go through a season or you go through a season of difficulty or maybe pruning perhaps because there's some fruit in your life that the Lord is longing for more fruit to come. You know what the temptation that we face is? The temptation we face is to think that somehow we have fallen from grace. 
When difficulty comes into your life, when pruning happens for you, how easy is it to believe that somehow God is not pleased? Jesus knows that as soon as things get difficult for these guys, they're going to begin to wonder, has God left me or is God still leading me? And what he wants them to know is that they are already clean. Meaning they are already accepted. The word here is cleansed from guilt, unsoiled, free from adulterating matter. Listen, when, when you head into rough patches and God is perhaps pruning you, you need to know that you don't bear fruit for his acceptance, but from acceptance. Like when you start to hit rough patches and wonder if God really is pleased, does God accept me? Does God love me? Am I still clean with God? It will ruin your efforts at mission. Here's the deal. Jesus is saying that, um, he has two points here. Fruitfulness and prunings means that you're in Christ, you're connected to him, but it also means that, that your fruitfulness has nothing to do with your acceptance by God. The, the bootleg motivation for mission is that somehow by doing work for the Lord, I might win acceptance from the Lord. I wonder if you've had that thought pop into your mind ever, where you're serving, you're caring, you're ministering, you're working, and all of a sudden you begin to think, you know what? If I just do this, then they'll be pleased with me. If I just be, do that more, then God will love me. If I just start doing this, God will be happy with me. If I just stop doing that, God will be pleased with me. The temptation to work for acceptance from God and from others is so prevalent, it's almost hard for us to notice. We're often craving admiration, longing for acceptance, living for approval. And don't you know that that motivation won't carry you very long in mission? It is bootleg. The classic example from the scriptures of this is King Saul. King Saul was one of the first, he was the first king of Israel, and he had a problem. Because he was constantly serving for the admiration of others. He even set up statues of himself in different places so that people might think well of him. Right? He, he's fearful of what people think. He is so much under pressure from others that he disregards what God has asked him to do. He craves acceptance and it ends up crumbling his kingship. Serving for acceptance is the mistaken belief that somehow if I do something more for God, I will be loved more by God. And that is not the truth of the gospel, my friends. That is not the motive that Jesus wants for our mission. And can't you see, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian here this morning, and you work at work for the acceptance of others, can't you see if you live in your family for the approval and admiration of others, your motivation runs short pretty quick. 
What, but what you need is not the acceptance of those around you horizontally. What you need is acceptance vertically that frees you horizontally. What you need is a kind of a love and acceptance that sees you for all of the mess that you are, the real you, and then wants to send that mess still on a mission. That's good news. That God wants to send the mess that is me on his mission for the good of the world. That's crazy good news. As Jesus faces his perhaps greatest outward challenge in ministry, he's drawing from the deep well of his inner life with the Father and saying, listen, you are clean. If you believe in my word, you are clean. You are not clean by your works, but you are clean by my word. Serving for acceptance is always unsustainable. And I pray that the cleansing that the true vine can bring would free you to contribute to the mission of God. All right, motivation number two. Let's keep reading. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There is one challenge, one command, one imperative in the whole of these 11 verses, and it is abide. Abide. It's a word that means to stay a word that means to remain, to continue being connected. And what Jesus is doing is he's setting up two pictures, the picture of those who are connected and the picture of those who are disconnected. If you abide in Jesus, you will be connected to him and bear much fruit and you will be able to ask the Father for things and he will give them to you because you are connected and asking in line with your vital connection. If you are detached, on the other hand, Jesus is saying you will be like a branch pulled off from a tree. And every one of us knows that those branches don't live very long. But the life that was flowing in them dries up. The leaves that were upon them wither. The fruit that was growing on them dies. Jesus is painting a divide between those who are abiding and those who are not. Those who are connecting and those who are not. And here is the truth of this section. Jesus, the true vine, is the source of life. Do you see it? Those that are connected are alive. Those that are disconnected die And the only thing they're fit for is kindling, right? Those who are connected bear fruit, a sign of life within them. And those who are disconnected have no fruit. Jesus is saying that he is, as the true vine, the source of life. And if you would have life flowing in your soul and flowing beyond yourself, you need to remain abiding. 
connected to the Lord Jesus. Listen, there's a couple things that point to the bootleg motivation. If the real motivation for mission, the bona fide one is that you are alive because of Jesus. His life flows through you and then is to flow through you to others, right? But, but if, if we look between the lines here, here's what you see. You see that the bootleg motivation for mission is control, is control. You wanna know why? Because those who are abiding do what? Ask for whatever they wish, which means whenever you ask something, you are not in control of something. Someone else is in control of something. Someone else is responsible to give something. You are not in control. And moreover, you're not in control because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if we begin to think that apart from God, we can do something that our hands can get to the matter and make things go. We begin to then take control, as it were. Rather than open hands of dependence, we begin to have closed hands and tight fists. And rather than serving for the good of others, trusting others, we serve out of fear of others and of what might happen and begin to wrap it up and take control. We were flying back on the way home and um, there was some turbulence on the last flight and you know, the plane starts bouncing up and down and the instinct when that happens out of the blue is to what? Grab, like grab the armrest, right? Clinch, control. But when you think about it, how fruitless is it to grab the armrest? Like what am I gonna do by grabbing my chair? Am I somehow going to steer the airplane this way and that way? No, I'm not in control. Matter of fact, there is one who's in control. It's not me by my clenching, but it's the captain by his steering. And I wonder if somebody here today needs to know that there is a captain for their life. And the longer that you try and take control by the armrests of your chair, you will clench up but you will not be alive. Your life depends on the captain, not on your grip. It depends on the one who flies the plane, not on the one who sits in the seat. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter is our perfect example of this. Pretentious Peter, out far ahead, of where he probably should be. He's bold at times, he's brash, he speaks up constantly if you read the stories about Jesus. And it's not because he really has a lot of substance to offer, right? Peter just stands up because he's like, I got a stance on this matter. I think it needs to go this way. He's, he's operating out of fear and pressing to control the situation. And you see him oscillate back and forth, grabbing for control and then sitting back and being afraid. He cowers under the question of the servant girl. Do you even know Jesus? Aren't you part of his party? And he says, no, I don't know the man. And then with the Jews and the Gentiles, he makes friends with those outside of God's historic people. And then all of a sudden the Jews come back around and the Gentiles are his friends no longer. Serving by fear, grabbing for control is bootleg motivation for mission. 
But the bona fide is this, that there is a life that can flow through your veins as you connect to the true vine. All right, let's look at the last one. Let's look at the last one. Jesus is the true vine and the source of joy. The source of joy. Let's pick it up in verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. You know, so much of what passes for joy in our world today is mere happiness. You get this whenever you talk with, um, I, I used to do a lot of ministry to college students and whenever you talk to a parent about the, the, the life, the development of their child or the trajectory of their kid into a vocation, what does every parent want for their kids? For them to be happy, to be happy. My parents say it to me all the time. It's the common disposition that we just want those around us, especially if you have kids, to be happy. But happiness is fleeting in many ways. Happiness is a natural desire for the people around you. And it's in many ways the desire for someone to not go through pain or discomfort. We want them to be well. But Jesus has a different kind of desire for us. Not just that things would be easy for us or that we would be comfortable all the time, but Jesus longs for something more than that. Rather than wanting happiness for us in a superficial way, Jesus says that his love is working for us joy. Deep-seated joy as we follow him and as we are connected to him. I think this is where like Jesus' charge turns a little bit personal. As he's saying, listen, let me, let me demystify what abiding is. It means staying in my love. Staying in my love. And let me help you understand how you stay in my love. Keep my words. Here's how you stay in my love. You keep my commandments. Here's how you stay in my love. You follow my teachings. Here's how you stay in my love. You align yourself with my instruction. Jesus is saying, this is the path to true and lasting joy. Yesterday, I took my oldest daughter to Minnehaha Falls on a little hike. Um, it's cold. It was like snowing while we were hiking, but we had our gear on um, and we're climbing around there walking. And as we see the falls and kind of work our way downstream, she just sort of looks at the water and she looks up at me and she's like, daddy, daddy, the water just like keeps coming. She's like, where does it come from? It just sort of keeps flowing. Like I see it bubbling there and then it keeps going on downstream further and further and further. And it doesn't seem to stop. Listen, friends, what Jesus is saying here is not that God doesn't love you. God has a love for this world that flows unceasingly, very much like the stream that my daughter encountered and noticed yesterday. But here's the reality. 
we hiked on farther down the stream, you know, like away from the roaring falls. And we found this sort of like outlet area where the water slowed a bit. And my daughter had her rain boots on. And so what I said is, hey, watch this. Come on, sweetie. I took her hand and I stepped out onto the stepping stones from one stepping stone to the other stepping stone. And she's watching the water rush by. And then she realizes, I have rain boots on. What are we doing on the stones? And so I said, go ahead, baby. She steps into the water. Now the stream of the falls flowing across her boots, filling them as she sort of goes deeper and deeper than I asked her to go, but deeper and deeper such that the water, which is cool, is flooding and, and, and she's feeling it upon her legs. Now listen, friends, like you can believe and you should that the love of God flows constantly, but you can watch it. You can watch it flow. But the way that you feel it flow is to step on into the river. The way that you feel it flow is to follow the Father's instructions, to follow Jesus's commandments, just like I asked my daughter to step on in and feel the flow of the water. The way that you will experience the love of God is if you obey the commandments of God. And it is not drudgery. Jesus is after your joy, your joy. Now listen, did you catch it? Did you catch the bootleg? Did you catch the implicit reason why many of us serve, why many of us give of ourselves, why many of us work? Well, it doesn't take long to think about obedience in order to find it. How many of us serve by obligation? How many of us serve because we have to? How many of us give just because we feel like we need to? I wonder if it's ever crossed your mind that you said, God, okay, I'll do that if I have to. I wonder if you've ever showed up on a Sunday to set something up or to greet someone in the lobby or to give of your time and said, you know what, fine, I'll do it. Fine. I mean, if the God of the universe is asking me to do it, I guess I better, you know, I better comply. How many of you have stepped out by obligation rather than served by obedience and then found joy on the other side of it? Jesus is helping us see that when you serve by obligation, you are believing the mistake. You are believing the lie that mission makes you miserable. That mission makes you miserable. And in obeying Jesus and in following him on mission in this world, you are not setting yourselves up for misery. There is difficulty, sure, but you are setting yourself up for lasting joy as you step on into the stream of his love and following his pattern that he set forth for his disciples and for us as disciples even here today. Jesus loves us with our unrelenting love that works for our joy. Don't you see what Jesus is modeling here? He's modeling that there's a better way to bear fruit. There's a better way to bear fruit. 
And it doesn't involve you serving out of control or fear. It doesn't, it doesn't involve you mustering up your sense of duty and obligation and just doing it. Now, some of y'all just need to commit a little bit more. That's not obligation. Commitment is a good thing. You grow out of commitment. But obligation as this constant driving will only leave you empty. And so will serving for acceptance. Jesus is saying, I have bona fide resources for you to live for me. I have real life, real cleansing, real joy, flooding from me, the source, into you, the branch. And if you're discouraged today, perhaps it's because the Lord's asking you to turn from fear, obligation, acceptance, and to trust in his cleansing, to trust in his love, to trust in the true joy that comes as you step into the stream. If you haven't connected yourself to Jesus this morning and don't consider yourself a Christian, let me just invite you to consider that. Why not connect yourself to the one who is the source of all cleansing, of all life and all joy? And if you're a Christian here this morning and your service or your living for Jesus constantly feels dry and like the batteries are low, would you trade the bootleg for the bona fide such that the joy of living for Jesus would be yours again? Church, let's abide in his love. Let's connect ourselves to Christ and let's continue to see the good news of Jesus affect us and then make waves for others. Amen? All right, hey, we're gonna move to a time of response now. And I wanna encourage you to reflect on that, that challenge to turn from what you might be trusting in to, to trust in Jesus. And I wanna invite you to come and to give, offering your treasure towards the mission of God. And I wanna invite you to partake of communion. If you are one who says, I wanna connect with Jesus, I'm a branch of the vine, I want his life flowing through me, then this table's open for you. If you find yourself with no desire to connect to him, if you find yourself attaching to other things for life and cleansing and joy, why not refrain? Do something meaningful for you and evaluate how your batteries are. What's the charge level right now? Let me pray for this meal and the servers will come up and um, you can come forward as you're ready. Father, thank you for this word. May you empower your people. We wanna live for you and we wanna serve you and let your gospel impact us and those far beyond us. So would you help us to see the right reasons, the proper motivation for mission? so that we are powered by you. And help us to connect with you, to stay connected and abide with you, even here in this moment and then in this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.